Brawlers, welcome back to Throwing Hands. Uh, I'm Jacob Janoski. Alongside me is Daniel. What's Daniel? How you doing, man? Doing great. We got a big, big, big week on Throwing Hands, and this is just the beginning, my friend. <sighs> truly, truly, we have some great content coming up for you guys. Okay, so we're just gonna head right into it. Molly McCann versus Talia Santos. Talia Santos, fifteen and one, but the record doesn't really show that she has beaten mostly people that are only a couple of fights into their careers. But Molly McCann, she has something ahead of her. What, what do you have for me on Molly McCann? Oh, she's kind of an interesting fighter. She's got a purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but she's definitely more of a striker. Uh, she really likes to stand in the pocket, can, can really fill up scorecards. She's definitely a, a volume striker. I know uh, we were talking so much about how Tanner Bozer a couple weeks ago uh, loves to fill up, the, fill up scorecards uh, just with points constantly, and she, she reminds me a little bit of him in that way. <clears throat> But she can get it done on the ground. She's not, she's not got a submission win in her career. But she's a volume striker. She likes to stretch things out. She's got six of her ten wins by decision. She's got a style. She sticks to it, and it's been successful for her so far. Yeah, I mean, you pretty much summed it up there. She's a brawler. She, she has unrefined but very powerful striking. She does, it's not actually not very powerful. It's fairly powerful. She's very aggressive. That's what I kind of meant to say there. And like you said, with Tanner Bozer, she definitely brings the volume along with her. And with her, uh, she does try submissions a lot, but she's never had a submission win. She usually likes to get it by decision, as 60% of her wins have been by decision. So next one, we go to Talia Santos. Really interesting fighter. She, uh, it's been a y- over a year since her last fight. And she, she likes the knockout, but she can't submit. And she does have a very long reach at 68 inches at 5'8", compared to Molly McCann's 5'2", uh, inch reach. So... What are your keys for Molly McCann? For Molly McCann, she just needs to do what has worked for her in the past, the thing that's gotten her 10 wins, which is get into the pocket, cut down on Santos's reach advantage, which is pretty big coming into this fight, and just be able to do what she does best, which is fight in close, dirty it up, and probably take this one to a decision. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. And she cannot let herself get taken to the ground because uh, Talia Santos does have a ground game. Even though she doesn't use it too much, she definitely can bring it out of her arsenal. And I think the keys for Talia Santos are use the reach, go to the ground if need be. I think that's, that really sums it up. What do you have? I think her biggest thing is going to be keeping Molly McCann at a distance. She's got a six-inch reach advantage, like we've said, but she's only got a half an inch on the leg reach, uh, which we've seen – sometimes can be a bigger factor than traditional reach. So if she can keep Molly McCann at a distance throughout this fight, not let her get right up in her face and turn it into a slugfest, that's going to be the thing for Tyler Santos to win this fight is be the more precise fighter and keep Molly McCann moving backwards throughout this fight. All right. So what are your predictions? This is a really interesting one because it's two fighters – with really good records, 
Santos is a little bit of a slim favorite, but I'm not sure I buy uh, everything she's done thus far coming into the UFC. She went into the, into the contender series at 13-0, and came away with a win there, uh, but then lost her UFC debut and then hasn't fought since uh, February of 2019. Because of that, I'm going to take Molly McCann. I just I don't trust uh, Tyler Santos as a as a top level UFC fighter. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. And I think with Molly McCann's aggressive style, she will definitely t- overtake a Santos, who's only fought uh, people uh, in a very short time into their career. And when she fights more experienced fighters, she doesn't really know what to do there. So I'm going to go the same and take Molly McCann. All right, so. To the next fight, uh, Jimmy Rivera versus Cody Stamen. A uh, pretty good matchup here, number number eight versus number nine. Jimmy Rivera, although he has been on the, a little bit of a downturn, the people who he, whom he has lost against is quite impressive. He's lost to Jan, Sterling, Dodson, and uh, Marlon Marais in his last... No, he beat Dodson, my bad, I apologize. And he's lost to Marais, Sterling, and Jan in, his, in three of his last four fights. So that's not exactly a bad uh, rep for Jamie Rivera. What do you have for me on Jamie Rivera? Uh, he's a really, he's a fighter I like to watch. Like you said, he's lost three of his last four, but those three losses came to the new Bantamweight champion and the top two contenders. Uh, he was a high school wrestler, but he's definitely, definitely more of a striker throughout his career. Um, he's a guy with really good stamina. He's he's a smaller guy at 5'4", fighting in this bantamweight division, uh, but he's going to stretch fights out. That's that's what he does best. 16 of his 22 wins have come by decision. Uh, so he's just a very efficient fighter. He doesn't run out of gas very easily. And when it goes to decision, there's a pretty decent chance he's going to be the one coming home with the victory. Yeah, I would have to... I'd have to keep agree with you there. He does have a uh, third degree black belt in karate, and he he does like to get in the pocket, but he can also keep his distance with his striking. So he's very diverse in w- with the way he strikes uh, in the octagon, and he does like to take a decision, like you said. And the thing with Cody Stamen is he he like he uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu blue belt, Division two wrestling. He use tends to use this a fair amount with the takedowns, and he's a pretty good boxer too. So and he also likes the decision. What do you have on Stamen? You pretty much summed it up again. Uh, Division two wrestler went to the same, went to the, or excuse me, competed for the same uh, college wrestling program at Grand Valley State that produced Tony Ferguson. So he's got a good pedigree there. Uh, started boxing when he was still in high school, and he's a guy that brings a lot of emotion into the octagon. We saw that uh, in his last fight uh, at UFC 250 against Brian Kelleher. He had just lost his his brother. Uh, who was 18 years old, and he he came into that fight with a ton of emotion, but he was able to overcome that, really channel it into into an outstanding performance. He's a guy that has a lot of fire behind him, and matched up with Jimmy Rivera, this is this could be a star making performance for Cody Stamen, something that can push him up in that featherweight division considerably. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you there, especially with uh, the the feather weight division so stacked right now. And Cody Stamen, if he does beat Jimmy Rivera, who has who has uh, been there for a hot minute, it'll show that he belongs in that division. So, to the keys for each man, Jimmy Rivera, what are your keys for Jimmy Rivera? I think he needs to he needs to keep Cody Stamen at a distance. That's uh, really what's going to stand out for me he's he's two inches shorter but he's got a four inch reach advantage going into this one and then a two inch advantage with the legs 
So Jimmy Rivera at, at five foot four is kind of freakish when it comes to his reach. I think he needs to take extreme advantage of that. Don't let Cody Stamen get in close and use his wrestling and his Brazilian jiu-jitsu backgrounds uh, to, to dirty it up on the ground. If this one stays on the feet, that's going to be the best bet for Jimmy Rivera. Um, you put it perfectly. I, yeah, use, he definitely has to use his reach to avoid the takedowns. It's interesting. He also has a 37 inch. He has a two inch leg reach advantage. So, you know, keep, keep him at bay with that also. So for Stamen wrestle uh, to close the distance, I think that's his best advantage. He can't really stand with Jimmy Rivera. Who's an extremely refined striker with his uh, third degree black belt in karate and ground and pound. That's the way I see it. What do you think? I have to agree with that. Stamen uh, has been boxing for 14 years. He started when he was 16, but I don't think that's something he can rely on against a striker the caliber of Jimmy Rivera. It's, it's going to be one thing for Cody Stamen to be able to get inside that reach advantage that Rivera has coming into this fight and use the boxing to set up a takedown. That's what I would look for him to do here. I don't think he's going to be able to stand and bang with Jimmy Rivera. There aren't many guys around right now that can. Yeah, you put it pretty much perfect, put it perfectly right there. And the last person to stand with uh, Jimmy Rivera was Piotr, was uh, Piotr Jan, and we all know how that ended with Jimmy Rivera. But Jimmy Rivera is so good, Cody Stamen will have to use his boxing to set up all of his takedowns. Okay, so what are your predictions? Uh, this is a really interesting one, but uh, Cody Stamen's a guy that is really, really hot right now. Uh, he he would have lost to Song Yadong back in back in December if it weren't for a point deduction that turned into a draw. But like I said, he had that really really emotional win over Brian Kelleher. Uh, he had a win over Alejandro Perez back in, last March in March 2019. Uh, so he's he's really hot right now. I like Cody Stamen. I like what he brings to this fight. I think he wins this one. Probably I'll go with the decision for Cody Stamen to win this one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say the same thing, both by uh, Cody Stamen by decision. Not, nothing, I think Jimmy Rivera will find his way again, but Cody Stamen's just too good of a wrestler, and I think that would just completely negate Rivera's striking. So, on to the co-main event of the evening. Uh, Tim Elliott, uh, you know him from when he almost beat Demetrius Johnson against Ryan Beno. So, what do you have for me on Tim Elliott? So, Timmy Elliott is a really, really interesting guy in this flyweight division because, I mean, he came up uh, through the Ultimate Fighter, had a lot of success before that, and, and then was able to come up through the Ultimate Fighter and, in winning that, earned a title shot against Demetrius uh, Mighty Mouse Johnson in what was, I believe, his second or third UFC fight, lost that one. And it's just been kind of strange since that point. So that's December of 2016. He gets a title shot against Demetrius Johnson. He follows that up with a win against Louis Smolka uh, in April of the next year. But since then, it's a loss to Ben Wynn. Uh, he beat Bart De La Rosa at UFC 219. Uh, but since then, it's been all downhill. He lost to Davidson Figueredo uh, in last October. He lost to Oscar Oskarov. Uh, in January, and as recently as May 30th, he got tapped out by Brandon Royval in a huge upset uh, went on the same card as Gilbert Burns versus Tyron Woodley back at the end of May. So Tim Elliott's kind of been bailed out a little bit by the fact that this flyweight div uh, division has struggled with depth in the past. 
but he's getting to to a point where he's going to have to do something. Uh, a former Division II wrestler at the University of Central Oklahoma, combined with a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, he's a great ground fighter. Uh, he does have have some power in his hands. He's got three knockouts and 15 wins. So, I mean, he can get it done on the feet. Yeah, you've pretty much summed it up for Tim Elliott there, Daniel. Uh, great grappler, fantastic grappler, but he can get it done on the feet. But he likes submissions, and he does like to take it to decision every once in a while. So, with uh, Ryan Bonneau, he's a, he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt extremely explosive and an extremely aggressive striker. I've never seen anybody kick or throw a hand as quickly as he, as Ryan Bonneau can. What do you have on Bonneau? Uh, he's, uh, you pretty much summed it up pretty well. He's, he's super aggressive striker. Eight of his 10 wins have come by knockout. He's coming off a loss, uh, but it was in a split decision and he's alternated wins and losses, even going back prior to his UFC debut. Uh, his last Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine fights have alternate win. Well, let's just go to his last 10. Uh, he beat Joseph Sandoval at Legacy FC 16 in December of 2012. And since then, he has alternated wins and losses to the point where he's now 10 and 6. So he's uh, an inconsistent fighter. You can, you can say that uh, pretty pretty definitively that Ryan Benoit is a little bit of an inconsistent fighter. But like you said, uh, purple belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, he can use it, but he's definitely more of a striker. Uh, he, he's with uh, Janjira Muay Thai, so obviously that's, that's where his striking background's coming from. Uh, he's got the power to knock people out. That's his biggest calling card. I think when it comes down to it with this fight, if it stays on the feet, Ryan Benoit's got the advantage. If it goes to the ground, it goes to Tim Elliott. Yeah, I think we – yeah, you pretty much summed it up there. And I think we pretty much summed up the keys too. LA keys, get it to the ground. Uh, and I think his best bet would be to stretch out this fight. And I think Bono needs to end it early if he wants to knock out. And if not, stretch out the fight. What do you think? Uh, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. All right, so predictions. What do you got? I am going to take uh, Ryan Benoit in this one. I think uh, he's going to be too aggressive on the feet for Tim Elliott to be able to adjust to, to find a way to get him down on the ground. And I don't know what that really means for Tim Elliott because he has struggled so much so, uh, so much lately. You know, I'm going to take Tim Elliott uh, by decision. Uh, I think, I think uh, his grappling is just too good for Ryan Benoit. I mean, Benoit, if he wins, I won't be surprised. Tim Elliott's kind of been on the downhill ever since he lost Demetrius Johnson. So I think that pretty much sums it up for this fight. And I don't get it. I think you, you and I discussed this a little bit before the podcast. I think Tim Elliott's number 11 ranking just shows how thin this fly – this flyweight division is. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Again, we're going to see Davison Figueredo and Joseph Benavidez square off on Saturday uh, in a rematch of their previous fight that was supposed to be for the vacant flyweight title. Uh, but then weight issues uh, led to that obviously going sideways. And I said at the time with that fight, Davison Figueredo coming in overweight and then winning that fight, I thought that was going to kill the flyweight division. I thought not having a champion for this long would, and it being that thin already, that they were going to cut that division because it, it just wasn't producing. I'm surprised uh, someone as, as money and marketing driven as Dana White hasn't honestly cut the flyweight division. There's some really talented guys in there, uh, but it se only seems like a matter of time until something gets turned around in that division before there's some changes made. All right. I 
you pretty much summed it up there for the flyweight division. I, if something happens with this fight, I think it'll probably be cut. That's my prediction anyway. All right, to the main event of the evening. Uh, Calvin Cater coming off a, a really good win against Jeremy Season, uh, Stevens with that TKO in the second round. And uh, number 10 ranked Dan Ike, who's coming off a questionable decision against Edson Barbosa. So you and I have discussed Cater before. Cater, great striker, very refined, has a small Brazilian jiu-jitsu background. But Ige, we discussed him uh, after that one, one fight against Edson Barbosa. What do you have on Ige? Uh, Ige is an interesting guy. He's certainly more of a, of a wrestler. He was a Division three wrestler in college, uh, but he's also got a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and a brown belt in judo. So he's certainly a grappling-focused guy. I was impressed with how he was able to compete with Edson Barboza on the feet because – Edson Barboza, when it comes to when it comes to striking, is about as refined as anybody you're going to find in technique. Uh, but uh, Dan Ige has clearly made strides uh, to be a more well-rounded fighter as compared to somebody uh, like Mickey Gall, who has been talked about for so long. Oh, if his striking can come along, uh, he'll he'll be a really dangerous fighter. Uh, that's what Dan Ige has done. He he prepared for Edson Barboza in a really good way. And whether, whether you want to, however you saw that decision going uh, between those two, I thought it was closer than a lot of people were saying. I didn't have a problem with Danny Gay getting that win, uh, but uh, Danny Gay has clearly become a well, more well-rounded fighter as his UFC career has gone on. Uh, so I've been really impressed with the strides he's been able to make, uh, but his grappling is what's going to carry him. Yeah, I would have to agree with you there. And I think with such a – I mean, like you said, Edson Barbosa is really defined. So is Calvin Cater with his, uh, with his punches. If, like you saw against – if you watch Jeremy Stevens' Cater fight, you, you will see that. And with Ige, like you said, he did prepare very well against Edson Barbosa. I did not have a problem with the decision, but some, people, some other people had a problem with it, especially Edson Barbosa. But, you know, that's, of course, going to happen with, in that situation. But with Ige, if – we're going on to keys here. If Ige gets us to the ground, I think Calvin Cater will have a huge problem because Calvin Cater is not very refined with his ground game. What do you think? I would have to think so. Calvin Cater, I mean, he's got two wins by submission, but uh, those were both quite a while ago and well before he was in the UFC. So I think Dan Ige's best bet is to go to the ground in this, in this fight. Uh, because it's something that Cater hasn't had to deal with in a long time. Uh, you, you go through his, his fights. He hasn't had a fight decided by a submission since 2009. That's, obviously, Calvin Cater has had fights go to the ground since then, but not against somebody the caliber of Dan Ige when it comes to grappling. Uh, so... That's that's a really interesting thing to watch because Danny Gay is going to have such an advantage when it goes to the ground. If Calvin Cater can't keep this fight on the feet, we could be in for a pretty serious upset. Yeah, I think you pretty much summed it up there. I can't really add any more to that. So, and obviously the keys for Cater are keep it standing. That's really the keys I had and use his slight reach advantage. Do you have anything to add? Uh, not much to add to that. I think Calvin Cater will be able to do that, uh, but if he can't, this this fight could go sideways for him real, real fast. Yeah, it could get pretty ugly. All right, my prediction for this fight, Calvin Cater by knockout, 
that's that's what I have. What do you have? I agree with that. I know how much I just talked about Dan Ige uh, having a really big advantage when it goes to the ground, uh, but I think Calvin Cater is is so so hot right now, coming off a really spectacular knockout against Jeremy Stevens. I I don't see uh, Dan Ige, who's coming off a little bit of a more questionable win, as we've talked about, uh, getting in in the way of what is really kind of turning into a star-making year for Calvin Cater, in my opinion. Yeah, I think you and I have discussed this a little bit yesterday on the – well, this will come out uh, – actually, yeah, we discussed this yesterday in the featherweight division, how stacked this division is, and Calvin Cater is right here. And I think with the implications, this will definitely drive Calvin Cater because if he wins this fight, he'll probably – I think you and I can both agree he'll face Max Holloway next probably. And, and I think after that fight, he's up for a title. Uh, what do you have to add to that? Yeah, I think I think Calvin Cater is definitely in a really good position if he knocks Danny Gay off. In, in that kind of situation, um, he probably probably can make a jump in the rate in the rankings. Uh, we've talked about there's eventually going to be a fight between Chan Sung Jung uh, and um, and Brian Ortega. Maybe he jumps the loser of that when that fight happens. Uh, but if Calvin Cater pulls out a win against a legitimate top top ten contender like Dan Ige here, he's he's in a pretty strong position moving forward as this featherweight division kind of needs to have a little bit of a reset with its contenders uh, because after Max Holloway and obviously uh, Zabit Magomedsharipov, uh, but he's not in really a position to fight right now with with COVID nineteen. Uh, there needs to be a little bit of a reset with the contenders here because uh, it's it's. There's no clear challenger for Alexander Volkanovsky right now is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's, you make a good point there. There's no really clear challenger. I think this. Uh, I think the Magomed Sharapov and Rodriguez fight has been scheduled for some time uh, next month, I believe. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a title limiter. And there's no, cle- like you said, there's no clear contender for uh, Alexander Volkanovsky to fight next unless the Hudo really wants to come up. Uh, I think he's really just asking for it there. But with Ige, he's a true contender. He's won... Uh, I can't count how many fights. Probably his last eight fights. So yeah, his last eight fights. So he's he's a very formidable challenger, and he's only twenty six or twenty seven. So if he loses this fight, he should not be worried about where he stands in this division because he will get a title shot. I'm sure of it. So Daniel, do you have any final thoughts? Again, just I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give anything away, but. As far as the growth of this podcast goes, you and I have been able to talk the last couple of days. It is, it's going to be a very big week. I don't know how uh, the spread of things is going to get released in the coming weeks, uh, but with some of the stuff we're doing this week, uh, it, this is a very, very big week for the Throne Hands podcast, and I'm excited for the listeners to be able to eventually get a look into what I'm talking about in the next few weeks. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you pretty much summed it up there. I'm excited for what we have uh, coming in the next week or two. And we have a lot of we, – we, we, you and I are probably going to make about eight episodes this week or something like that because yeah. we have the, uh, the, the cool stuff tomorrow. We have three cool yes, things tomorrow. tomorrow. We are, we're recording this on Tuesday, July 14th. And from my perspective, Wednesday, July 15th is going to be – the biggest day in the very short history of this podcast. Yeah, for sure. And I'll, I'll also, leave it at that. Yeah, and uh, we have three episodes to record on Thursday too. So I'll, I'll yes. talk to you about that. But okay. 
All right, guys. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Daniel, thanks for coming back. We, yes, we always have a good time here. And we will see you guys next time.